Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of The Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever, and I'm a member of AAM's investment team. Today, I'll be speaking with Marco Bravo, who will discuss the recent pullback in treasury yields and other economic issues. Then I'll be joined by Gene Preddy of Zazoff Associates and Tim Seneschal, who will discuss their expectations for the convertible bond market after a very strong first quarter. So with that out of the way, welcome, Marco. Thanks, Pat. Clearly, all eyes are on the Fed. Uh, Market participants are trying to determine how their new guidelines will affect future monetary policy. Um, The FOMC met last week and left rates unchanged. So what should investors take away from that meeting? Sure. Well, the, the decision to leave rates unchanged, which means the, uh, the target range for Fed funds is zero to 0.25%, and the decision to continue purchasing treasuries and mortgages at the pace of $120 billion per month really wasn't a surprise to anyone. Uh, markets were fully expecting that. But it was interesting, um, at this meeting, the Fed also updated their what's known as their summary of economic projections, which for 2021, uh, the Fed is projecting stronger GDP growth than what they were predicting back in December, uh, 6.5% growth this year versus 4.2%. In addition to that, lower unemployment rate. Uh, They now expect the unemployment rate to end the year at 4.5% and higher inflation relative to their expectations back in December. So stronger growth, lower unemployment, and higher inflation. Uh, but even with the with the better outlook, uh, the median dot continues to suggest kind of no liftoff in rates uh, through 2023. Uh, so I think the key takeaways uh, from the meeting and, and from uh, the statement and, and uh, the press conference that followed is that uh, Fed Chair Powell believes that uh, the labor market is still a long ways away from full employment and that any rise in near-term inflation is expected to be temporary, uh, which means we should not expect any change in Fed policy for the foreseeable future. Okay. Um, so the markets had an opportunity to hear Fed Chairman Powell speak this week during testimony to the Senate Committee on Banking. Uh, do you think his message during that testimony was consistent with details from the Fed meeting last week? It, it, it was very consistent um, that they're going to take a, a very slow and measured approach and, and let the economic data dictate when uh, they're going to change policy. Uh, but it appears the market you know, seems to be testing the Fed's resolve to adhere to its kind of new average inflation inflation targeted framework. Mm-hmm. If you look at the euro dollars market, it's currently pricing in three full rate hikes by the end of 2023. Uh, you know, for those of us that have been doing this a while, it, uh, we 
we know it's usually not a winning strategy to uh, to fight the Fed. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so let's move on to some actual economic data. Uh, we started out the year routinely beating economic estimates, but that's changed a little bit, uh, particularly with housing. So what do you make of the recent housing data, and are you concerned that this recent boom is coming to an end? Sure. Um, so what the what the most recent uh, data, and that's February data, showed uh, housing starts or, or construction for new homes uh, fell 10.3% during the month. Uh, that was a, a fairly large drop. Um, we saw this week new homes, or last week new home sales fell 18%. And even sentiment among home builders um, declined uh, marginally in, in February. Uh, we think there's a few things happening here. Uh, first, uh, the weather in February was was terrible, which um, most likely affected activity, but probably means that we should see a rebound in the data uh, in coming months. Uh, but second, and this may be more than just temporary, housing affordability has fallen as mortgage rates and construction costs have moved higher. Uh, in fact, the average price of a home last year was up 10% according to the Case-Shiller uh, Index. Uh, so while you know higher mortgage rates definitely could soften demand for housing, uh, we still expect residential investment to be a positive contributor to overall GDP growth this year. Okay. Um, let's let's look at yields. Uh, the yield on the ten-year Treasury is down about 15 basis points from its recent high over the last five days. Uh, what's driving that? Well, it could be a couple of factors uh, responsible for the the recent decline in, in Treasury yields. Uh, first, uh, there's seems to be growing concern over in Europe that variants of COVID-19 may be pushing cases higher and uh, potentially leading to further lockdowns uh, in Europe. And that's caused uh, European sovereign bond yields to decline, which makes U.S. Treasury yields attractive to foreign investors. So we may have seen a a pickup in demand for treasuries from foreign investors. And second, as you mentioned earlier, you know, Chairman Powell's recent testimony this week, uh, he acknowledged that the overall economy continues to recover. uh, But there are sectors that remain weak and that the unemployment rate. Uh, which has fallen, uh, in his mind, doesn't fully reflect this weakness. So, you know, Powell stated he's not worried about the recent rise in Treasury yields, uh, but I think his comments kind of reinforce the Fed's commitment to keep rates low. Okay. Given everything that you just said, uh, from the FOMC meeting, the recent Powell speech, temporary weakness, in housing and uh, the move in yields recently, has that changed AAM's outlook for for rates uh, from where our expectations were last month? Uh, Versus last month, no. We continue to expect the 10-year yield to end the year in a range of 1.5 to 1.75%. So that hasn't changed uh, over the last 30 days. Uh, but that is up uh, about 25 basis points from where we started the year, just given the uh, improvement in the outlook for the economy. Okay, great. Well, 
Thanks for that information, Marco, and uh, we'll speak, speak to you during our next podcast. Great. Thanks, Pat. Next, we're joined by Gene Preddy of Zazoff Associates and Tim Seneschal, a senior portfolio manager here at AAM. For those of you not aware, AAM has a 30-year partnership with Zazoff Associates, bringing convertible securities expertise to the insurance industry, and Tim works very closely with the Zazoff team. So, welcome, guys. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks, Pat. Gene, uh, during our 2021 Outlook podcast in early February, we were constructive on the convertible sector given our views on the strengthening economy, stable credit markets, and heightened market volatility. Um, how are these things playing out in the first quarter? I think all of them have kind of played out as expected, that if anything, the perception of strength in the economy has strengthened further uh, with the rollout of the vaccine. We're starting to see uh, a continuation of the cyclical and reopening names strengthen in reaction to that. Uh, credit markets, uh, again, given the strong economic backdrop, credit markets have been strong. Uh, and we've certainly seen heightened volatility, um, in both in single names with some of the GameStop type phenomenon, et cetera, uh, but also with uh, the, the sell-off that you started to see in some of the big, uh, big cap technology names and such. So um, you could, very, very similar to what we expected, uh, and if anything, stronger on all of those cases. And probably the big surprise is the rise in interest rates that we've seen uh, in reaction to the strengthening economy. Okay. Uh, you mentioned uh, single stock volatility, uh, particularly with growth tech names and software issuers. And you warned us back in October of last year that their structures were, were somewhat stretched, trading at three times, four times, five times par. And you highlighted the need to find uh, a balanced structures uh, with downside production. So I'm wondering, are, are those balanced structures generally behaving as you expected? Uh, if anything, better than expected. That uh, in, in cases where we've seen downside movements in particularly the technology and growth names, the convertible structures have held very well when they were in fact balanced. Uh, I would contrast that with obviously some of the big names that we're trading at multiples of par. Those are functionally equity positions. Tesla being a prime example that with that stock being down something on the order of 20%, uh, those bonds just fell dollar for dollar. But the balance structures have held up extremely well uh, in this environment. Hey, Gene, you mentioned GameStop and uh, that Reddit phenomenon kind of touches at the edges of your market. Equity short sales are a part of many convertible trades. I mean, what's, uh, what's been happening there as it's affected your strategy or the convert market? Uh, a couple things. One would be there have been a fair number of names impacted. Um, and I think it might be as simple as uh, the backdrop for the GameStop trade was an orchestrated attempt to create a short squeeze. So what a lot of those folks did is they kind of trolled the market looking for names that had significant short interest. Uh, as it would, turns out, a lot of those are convertible names uh, because a big part of the convertible market would be long the convertible short stock against it. The difference would be in those names, uh, you're unlikely to cause a short squeeze because it's a hedged position. So we did see stocks run uh, kind of with the expectation that they could create a squeeze. And then given our kind of 
discipline of what we're doing. We have had a handful of names that traded up substantially. Uh, they became too equity sensitive. We sold those uh, into strength. Uh, so we benefited from that kind of enormous volatility that we're seeing in some of those names. On the rate side, Gene, insurance companies are heavy investors in traditional investment grade quality fixed income assets that have duration risk attached to it. And we've highlighted over the years that converts tend to be uh, much less sensitive to rates and, and actually perform reasonably well given the relationship between equity market movements and rising rate environments. How's the strategy held up with the curve steepening and rates increasing? So, so you're dead right. Once again, we've seen roughly 100 basis point or more rise uh, in the 10 year. Uh, and in that environment, our returns have been significantly positive. And that's functionally for the same reason that it's been in many past cycles is that rates are rising in reaction to uh, strengthening economic growth. Uh, that benefited the stock market. So stocks rose much more uh, than uh, the interest rate component. The other subtlety would be the convertible market is relatively short duration. So um, most of these structures are five-year structures, so they're not very long to start with. And then the functional uh, duration or sensitivity to interest rates is equivalent to something less than two on a duration standpoint. So that equity sensitivity has benefited us much more than uh, the headwinds from rising rates. So. Gene, maybe you could take a minute here to talk about uh, what issuance is looking like. Um, is deal flow greater than it was at this time last year? And is the makeup of the, the issuers any different than it was? Um, so issuance has remained extraordinarily strong, I, I, arguably unprecedented. Um, it was a little bit quiet in January and February because you're in the middle of earnings season. and. You know, but that said, there was some issuance. As we've come into March, we've just had a surge of issuance. So you'll recall last year, uh, we had a, a record year of issuance, or at least a 20-year uh, high in issuance uh, on the order of, I think it was $116 billion for the year. Uh, so far this year, we've seen uh, 75 deals totaling $40 billion uh, just year to date. And in March alone, we've seen 42 deals with 22 billion. So uh, if anything issuance is running significantly higher than a year ago, um, in terms of the makeup of that issuance, um, we're seeing less of what I've called the strategic issuance, which is COVID, uh, you know, fundraising to kind of uh, manage COVID issues. There's some of that. Uh, we've seen much more of what I call opportunistic issuance from big cap household growth names um, that the stock prices are at very high levels. Um, those, those issues are coming at stretched terms, I would argue, um, but you are seeing household names like Expedia, Spotify, Peloton, Twitter, DocuSign, Airbnb, names like that. They're very good credits. Um, typically in those names, uh, the convertible is the only debt in the capital structure and they have substantially more cash than debt. Uh, but uh, coupons are, and all those names I just mentioned, the coupons were zero and the conversion premiums averaged on the order of 70%. So very stretched uh, valuations, and I think some of it becomes opportunistic issuance that you can raise a billion or $2 billion um, and on, on very favorable terms. Um, that said, we have seen in response to that, uh, particularly in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a cheapening in the market. 
uh, due to supply. So that increase in supply is causing cheapening both in some of those names, uh, but more importantly in the secondary market in general. Um, and it, it's created a fair amount of opportunity in reaction to that cheapening. So Gene, in terms of some of this deal flow and where valuations are, are you finding better pockets of value in secondaries, you're more active uh, acquirers of secondary bonds in here, or are you picking pockets uh, within the new issue market as well? What, uh, what are you selecting? A, a little bit of both. The, these benchmark household name kind of growth names, we found the valuations too extended. Uh, so from, in most of those cases, we didn't play them. And that actually, for first time in a long time, there were a couple of those that we did play that richened substantially after issue, and we literally bought and sold, um, uh, you know, within weeks um, due to richening in those specific cases. There have been a handful uh, you know, of the more, I'll call them more cyclical type names, less less the growth names, where the uh, issuance has been more attractive. Ford was a good example there, uh, where it was a benchmark deal. We did buy that one. But I would say day in, day out, we're finding more opportunity in the secondary market, both in reaction to some of the significant declines we've seen in these growth names, and then also a cheapening in the secondary market uh, in reaction to the supply. How has liquidity held up, Gene, in secondary markets with all this deal flow? Uh, for the most part, it's been very good. Uh, there were a couple of days when uh, uh, this week was an example where on Monday we had eight deals in one day. Uh, with the dealer focus on trading the new deals, liquidity in the secondary market was a little less uh, than it has been lately on both sides. Both uh, Things were definitely better for sale, but uh, on many names, uh, the offering side wasn't uh, significant as well. Uh, as the week progressed, that, that improved somewhat. So generally speaking, liquidity has been very good, uh, but in reaction to some of these supply names, we do see some liquidity opportunities or a reduction in liquidity. Gene, you mentioned a little bit of cheapening in the market. How has that affected portfolios? In our outright portfolios, uh, Tim, you, you tend not to feel that a whole lot. It, it, it's sort of a headwind, but the day in day out movements are uh, what equities are doing. And with the broad strength in equities, you really don't feel that cheapening a whole lot. Whereas in a big part of our market is convertible arbitrage. Uh, in those portfolios, your long convertibles, uh, short stock against them, uh, and you're more uh, sensitive to valuations. Um, anecdotally, there has been a fair amount of uh, year-to-date returns are very good in that space. But in the recent weeks, the cheapening was felt in the arbitrage portfolios much more significantly. All right, Gene, Tim, before we wrap this up, are there any items that you're monitoring particularly closely? I, th I think the biggest thing is this uh, recent phenomenon that we've seen, uh, the rotation in the markets away from the big cap growth names that have dominated returns for 10 years and into more value, uh, broader market names. Uh, to the degree that that continues, that's a significant tailwind for us that you'll recall we are much more diversified than the convertible market as a whole, less sensitive or less exposed to particularly big growth technology. And in recent weeks, the sell-off that we've seen in that space um, has been very nicely offset by strength in the broader market. That's great. 
Um, thanks for your views, Gene, on convertible market. I think it's really valuable information, uh, particularly for those investors looking for higher yielding investments and uh, can't tolerate the volatility of the equity market. So thank you very much. And thanks to you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you have any questions, please reach out to your portfolio manager or our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, I'll be joined by Marco and a member of our investment team to discuss a timely issue affecting the fixed income markets. Thank you.